lucky. We get to all hear you talk. Everyone has been waiting <laughs> to hear me talk, and here we go. Welcome back, everyone. It's been a little bit, but that's because we've got some awesome episodes in store, and we've been waiting to bring them to you. Super pumped up to have our guest, Jim Mullen, here today. Jim, thanks for coming on. We are excited to have you uh, live on video. And Jim Mullen is the Executive Director of Carbon Utilization with Navigator CO2, responsible for the Navigator Pipeline. Jim, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you found yourself into this niche position? Yeah, first, thanks guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been at Navigator since April, and I came from, from JBS in the protein industry. And and in the protein space, uh, the protein space are large users of CO2. And if you look back about a year ago, uh, you started seeing some headlines about some of these pipelines that were being built that were going to capture CO2 and, and inject it and sequester it in different areas of the country. And, and part of that was I realized that the very same sources of CO2 that, that at the time we were using uh, were in jeopardy of getting that CO2 directed towards the pipeline and sequestration, which would affect our supply. And, and it's important to the protein plants to get that CO2 and they can't run the plants without it. Uh, started having those discussions and, and looked at the, the cross section and the intersection of where the clean energy economy uh, and, and CO2 utilization were, were gonna uh, be important in, in this industry and really wanted to be in this space. And, and next thing you know, I'm at Navigator and. I think really the core responsibilities are there's going to be a couple different components to to a CO2 platform, and one of it is sequestration, but it but but it, on the other side is utilization, and that's where I see uh, giving optionality to the customer base to be able to to take that CO2 and inject it into the ground, or point it in a direction to some of these newer uh, clean energy um, fuels. Uh, and different parts of the, of the the clean energy economy. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, I'm excited to have you on as well. Um, you know, I think it kind of ties everything together. We you know we sit up here and talk about this all the time. Talk about pipeline sequestration, 45Q, the impacts that we think it's going to have on the market. You're out there doing it and, and living it. You lived it from the protein side, and now you're actually doing the pipeline. So I think it's going to help everybody get a better kind of visual and tangible understanding of what is a pipeline? What does that actually mean? Um, and, and what are we doing with that? So, and how far along is it? I mean, are we talking next month, next year, next decade? So why don't you give us a, a quick overview of the Navigator CO2 pipeline itself? What is it? Where is it? How far along are we? Uh, when can we expect the, the, the first drops of liquid to hit it? So the original intent and, and, and thought process behind building a CO2 pipeline platform uh, Navigator's core business was was in the midstream oil space and, and building pipe in, in Western Texas and Oklahoma. And one of their customers at the time approached Navigator and, and said, will you help us build and connect our ethanol facilities in the Midwest and take that CO2 and look at sequestration? And so a couple of years ago, kick, kick some tires, tried to uh, figure out how to do that. And then fast forward a couple of years later, and, and the original intent was, to, to build a 2,300 mile pipeline crossing five states where you're gonna take CO2 from, from ammonia facilities and ethanol facilities, and then inject it into the Mount Simon formation in Illinois. And, and the reason being in the original intent of targeting the ammonia and the ethanol facilities is those facilities, as you guys know, have very clean CO2. And to be able to take that CO2, compress it, and put it to 1800 PSI, give or take, 
and then and then sequester it is really the the original business plan. But then you fast forward, and, and this market's changing every month. Uh, and then in August, you have the IRA pass to to have uh, to have that CO two uh, basically at eighty five dollars a ton to sequester it. Then things start to change a little bit, and you start bringing other industrial facilities into the mix and post combustion CO two and and even power. CO2 emissions from power plants and things like that. So that dynamic across uh, what we've seen is really how we've seen the evolution of, of the, the concept of the pipeline. Yeah, it's so interesting because in, in those five states in the Corn Belt, right, you have a lot of producers of CO2, but also a lot of users of CO2. So we're going to unpack exactly. that. I'm, I'm curious, as you mentioned, post-combustion, is anybody fair game? I mean, you know, if you have CO2 and you're willing to invest in the infrastructure needed to get it to the pipeline specification, you know, are, are we open to anybody putting their CO2 into the pipeline and taking advantage of the benefits? A hundred percent. And and that's where going back to, to what I was just saying about the ethanol and ammonia um, CO2, I think what what the market is starting to learn is, and, and again, coming from a large protein company where they're there was a very strong focus on reducing CO2 emissions. And, and when you look at some of these companies and you say, okay, we have to reduce 30% of our emissions and, and you can do energy efficiency and maybe get five or 10% of the way there. You can do long-term power purchase agreements, but a lot of these uh, entities are not in deregulated markets where they can go purchase, uh, you know, get these power purchase agreements for wind and solar because they're behind regulated utilities. Uh, there's other parts of it where solar, sure, solar projects are great. And, and I think aesthetically they, they're, um, they're very good things to, to implement across a lot of different facilities. But in terms of CO2 reduction, you don't get your biggest bang for the buck. And so what the market is learning is you can, you can capture those boiler emissions or even have on-site electricity production and capture that CO2 as well and put that on the pipeline. And ultimately you get to a point where that's the biggest bang for your buck when you're talking about decarbonization of large protein facilities, or it could be any industri industrial facility. It could be beverage companies. It could be whatever products anybody's making. If they're close enough to the pipeline, it's really a function of distance and volume of your CO2. And I think we're gonna see new businesses created from this where even if it's not a lot of CO2, we're looking to build out areas along the pipeline where you can take your CO2 and put it on the pipeline. And so anybody is fair game. And what we want to do is, is provide the most value to the customer base where we can start to solve some of the, solve the CO2 greenhouse gas issue. So essentially you're going to build out a trunk line across these five states, these 2,300 miles, then you go spider into you know, somebody's backyard, basically. I can run a pipe up to your backyard for the large users. Those that maybe aren't as large, you might have a hub spoke somewhere that uh, you can truck over your CO2 and then, then inject it into the pipeline, I assume. Yeah, where does your scope start and stop and where does it yeah. tie into the customers? And then, the and then to piggyback on that, where, where are we? I mean, is there shovels in the ground yet on this pipeline? I mean, I know we've got a, a well, a permitted well. I believe it's permitted. But um, you know, where are we at that uh, from there? At the 10,000 foot view in terms of permitting, um, we're going to have different phases of the permitting at the state level and at the federal level, which I know we've submitted uh, most of those permits. 
uh, in terms of landowner acquisition, we are, um, and I, I hate to put a, a firm number on the sure. percentage, but we are working towards that uh, very quickly. It is a priority for, for Navigator. Uh, and then in terms of meeting goals and, and wanting to have pipe in the ground, I would say at the beginning of 2024 is when we're looking to start the to begin that process. We're gonna build from the sequestration site out. We're gonna have multiple different um, areas of the pipeline being built at one time. And with the end goal of, I would say, in service in the middle of 2025, that phase one approach to, to the navigator system. Uh, the sequestration site, as I mentioned, will be in and around the Springfield, Illinois area. And that will, like I said, will be the first thing built. Uh, we're gonna have multiple sequestration sites for redundancy purposes. Uh, and resiliency purposes. Um, in terms of looking back at the the carbon management platform, you know, we don't just want it to be viewed as taking CO two and sequestering it. Again, with with we want to give our customer base that optionality to sell CO two into the marketplace. And and we're seeing a lot of different industries come to the table. It's it's actually been fascinating for me is uh, e fuels and and being able to combine CO two with green hydrogen. And, and what makes that appealing is in Illinois, you've got MISO and PJM as RTOs in the electric uh, space. And to be able to take solar and wind and other types of technology and potentially bring hydrogen to market, uh, or maybe you're, you're making, uh, maybe you're making hydrogen, blue hydrogen with CO2 capture, right? And blending it with other CO2 uh, on the pipe. And so there's just different avenues and we're learning each month about what this is gonna look like. But again, we wanna be able to also have the ability to take that CO2 and use it for whatever industry that you're in, be it beverage, protein, it could be uh, CO2 is used in the wastewater treatment process. Uh, because right now I see in the Midwest, in the Corn Belt, going back to the supply of CO2, I see up to 70% of all CO2 getting pointed towards sequestration. And so if you're a user of CO2, you, as long as you're planning and, and educating yourselves on this space and what's happening, I think there's plenty of time to solve and make sure that you are aligning and getting the CO2 you need once this uh, switch is flipped. Yeah, I think it kind of feeds in. No, sorry. No, I, I want think, you to yeah. touch on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it feeds into pretty much everything that we believe in that, uh, you know, uh, uh, first and foremost, you, you have to be in the black before you're in the green, right? Like this has to make sense. And just getting paid to put it into the ground isn't a feasible financial model 10, 20, 30 years from now. There has to be right. other, other avenues. And so the other part of that is finding constructive uses for the co2 is far more important so you mentioned you know e-fuels and, and uh, biofuels and uh, uh aviation fuel sustainable aviation fuel you know you you take this hydrogen and whether you know green hydrogen blue hydrogen purple pink you know unicorn hydrogen whatever color hydrogen it is at the end of the day you mix it in there with with the co2 and we don't have enough co2 today to sustain that which is a good thing so we're going to be capturing all this we could actually use it as opposed to sequestering 70% of it like you're talking about. But uh, I think it feeds into all of those different as aspects and attributes of the market that ultimately we need. And it just goes back to reinforce where you get your CO2 from today probably isn't where it's coming from tomorrow. So kind of again, having said that, talk about you know, who, who's, uh, who's signed on with you. I know you've got some public declarations out there, LOIs or MOUs with, with the multiple partners. Who's who's uh, signed on saying you know we want this pipeline and we want to we want to start sequestering? 
Right. I think uh, so. So Poet is going to be a large anchor tenant. You've got um, you've got Valero as well. And then and then some other partners, uh, Big River, OCI. And and between them, we're we're at about 11 million tons of 15 million tons capacity right now. Uh, there's a lot of other entities that we're talking to in the mix to, to fill up that remaining four million tons. Um, and, and it's something that's going to be, again, super exciting where we, we couldn't be happier to, to have those types of customers on the system, uh, some of the largest producers of ethanol in, in the world. Uh, and then if you, the other, the other part, going back to a little bit what, what you were saying in terms of what CO2 is going to look like in the future is part of the reason we're seeing some of these new markets in this space is, is that the way the current market is structured is, is CO2 is a byproduct. Right. And and that's yet you had an ethanol plant that said, OK, uh, if I'm making ethanol, sure, you can have the CO2 at a certain price. And and and, and so you had some interruptibleness, if that's a word, to the market and being an end user. If I put my end user hat on and, and coming from one of the larger purchasers of CO2 in the U.S., that was a giant headache because there was no firmness to the market. Uh, and, and what we're trying to solve here, too, which I think is going to happen and it could change, but, but I think it's probably the best model where you get one, not only the lowest price, but the highest, basically the, the highest redundancy and the highest security of your product and getting it to, to your plant that can't run without it. And so where those two meet is where you really want to be. And, and you've, you've had this market be interruptible for so long that if you had a company that was even entertaining making an e-fuel or a SAF or, or something like that in the past, you look at the financing and you say, gosh, well, what if your CO2 source goes down? And, and they would say, well, geez, maybe we'll get it from that plant over there. You just couldn't really design a marketplace. But now that you've got a pipeline system and a platform where you've got 40, 50, 60 different sources of CO2 on the system, now they say, okay, wow, all right, we've got that resiliency, redundancy. Uh, we have a much higher probability of getting that CO2. So that becomes a solvable next step for them to go into, okay, now we let's go. We know that that's there. Let's go to the green, let's go to the, Let's go to solar. Let's go to wind. Let's see what that looks like. Or let's go to power generation with CO2 capture and let's see what that looks like. And so you're seeing that next evolution step in in making some of these uh, renewable fuels. And and I think all of us are learning every single month. It's not like we're experts in that, uh, but we have people coming to us looking for that CO2. It's 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 exciting. Yeah, I know. I know Luke's got like ten questions to follow up on, but and I wanted to throw I'll, one at you just I'll for the, yeah, just so just everybody for a quick at answer. Home yeah. Um, Put your supply chain hat back on. Is is eighty five dollars a ton the new low end baseline price of CO two going forward five years from now, whatever it is? Great question. I think there's a couple different parts to it. So the first part of this is is we talked about how in the Midwest the majority of the CO two that all of the users of CO two get are coming from ammonia plants and ethanol plants, right? And and we mentioned that up to seventy percent of those plants could point that CO2 towards sequestration. And now there's there's some other drivers to that, like the 45Z, where if it's the 45Q, yeah, it might that $85 per ton might be the floor, but you have to make some adjustments to it because that $85 per ton is an after-tax number, 
right? And so if they're going to have sales of CO2, you kind of have to have an apples to apples comparison. So true it up by dividing by one minus their tax rate. And so that's where that apples to apples floor would theoretically be. Um, but then at the same time, I said 70% of supply could be going away. And then now you're introducing some incremental demand to the market with some of these e-fuels, right? And, and the volumes that some of these, uh, to, you know, to make an e-fuel, to make SAF are very significant volumes of CO2. So you're, you're increasing demand and decreasing supply. Now, do I think that could create a runaway bull market in CO2? I don't think so because there's going to be enough CO2 out there. Uh, but I think it's going to take a forward looking, uh, not reactionary type mentality. It's recognizing that the federal government has stepped in and said, okay, we'll buy all and any CO2 at $85 a ton. And so if you're an entity using CO2 right now, I think now's the time to plan because if you fast forward a year and a half, two years, that's going to be too late. You could have an oversubscribed pipeline. You could have an oversubscribed offtake facility that now other companies had seen what was going to happen in this CO2 space. And they they capture the the that they have a long-term offtake agreement to get CO2 off of an offtake hub potentially. And that capacity to clean up to beverage grade is all already fully subscribed. So now is the time for planning. I think there's plenty of time to plan. I think there's plenty of CO2. It's just they're going to have to pay a little bit more than where the market is for a longer term and have these offtake agreements because the 45Q is 12 years and and it's going to have staying power. It's not going to go away in a couple of years. And so that's that's uh, we're, what we're seeing right now in this space is really more education than anything else. And we're open to really any any types of ideas to make this uh, even better and more to, to give some more security to you know the end user space. Yeah, well, well spoken, Jim. And I, I just think it's important for our audience to hear that. Right. Is we've been saying it. Proactivity is is really the biggest piece right now. You know, don't be ignorant to what's happening. Everybody's still safe. There's opportunity to secure CO2, but being able to educate yourself and to make the steps now to ensure that you have that CO2 available for you, you know, if when things do start to tighten up or when the landscape changes is so important. Um, and you go ahead, please. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and one thing that we hear too is is there's a little bit of denial in, in that okay, well, not all the ethanol plants are, are going to be able to take their CO2 and sequester it. And, and I agree with that. I think that's a, a fair point. Um, but if you really look at, at how this, this clean energy economy is moving forward, right, you've got a transportation sector that is in critical need of decarbonizing. And, and so when you talk about an ethanol facility, you've got an ethanol facility that needs to decarbonize as well. And their, their core product and, sell, and their core business is selling ethanol. So if you are an ethanol plant, but you're not connected to a pipeline, you're going to do anything you can to take your CO2 and get at least a good chunk of it sequestered, or else your ethanol in the all in the supply stack of ethanol is quote unquote, even though it could be clean, it could be the dirtiest if you fast forward five years from now, right? And and maybe it's not marketable. So there you are, your core business is selling ethanol. You don't have that low carbon footprint all of a sudden you may not be selling as much ethanol as you think. And, and so what I've heard a lot is, is, oh yeah, we're just gonna build a CO2 capture plant on an ethanol plant that isn't in um, you know, the line of sight for a sequestration pipeline. I, and I'm like, well, 
are you really going to go allocate 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars to a facility that may not be relevant in a handful of years? And, and, and you know, they, they look back and, and kick tires and say, OK, well, all right, we're starting to see that. So I think there's a lot of great questions. There's a lot of probing in, into what business model is really going to work. But um, the, the redundancy model, the offtake model, uh, having all different diverse supply mixes, understanding the price you're going to have to pay. And then really, it's more of a set it and forget it. Again, this is my utilization hat on is, is that market needs a set it and forget it and reliability uh, angle. And I, I think they can do it with some proactiveness. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a great point on, on uh, I think, what you're, you're kind of dancing around, to, not dancing around, but getting to the carbon intensity score. And, you know, I've heard it said that that's probably the, the best way to measure, you know, uh, uh, the, the viability, the greenness of, of any product. And I think you're going to see more and more of that going forward. A uh, whole other episode for us to kind of educate on both ourselves and, and the market on what the carbon intensity score means. But what you're yeah. saying about that, ethanol is ethanol all up until you say, how green is your ethanol relative to somebody else's ethanol? And they, they'll give higher tax breaks, um, better payouts, and and more viable in the in the market, the supply market. So that's a real interesting one. So yeah, and, Tim, and, oh, go ahead. And, and, and one more point, and is is that if you think long term too. Um, so if if you're in the corn belt, uh, we, we've we've had some pushback against a, a carbon pipelines. It doesn't. It's not just ours. It's just the general concept and. And if, if you are uh, an ethanol producer or a corn farmer, and, and I do think this is a really important part um, of, of what we're trying to build towards this clean energy economy is long term, uh, if, if you do have a push towards EVs, and I think there's plenty of traction for it, right? So uh, if when EVs go up, ethanol demand is going to go lower, but it doesn't mean that the ethanol business goes away. I think if you have low carbon ethanol, Right. And whether it's EVs or some alternative fuel, it could be an ethanol to jet fuel pathway is by having carbon capture. You you are able to have the lowest carbon intensity fuel, whether it's pointed towards the, the, the transportation sector in terms of cars or pointed towards other some other type of business. So let's say the 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 um, from an air perspective, you know, from airplanes. Right. So if, or whether it's pointed towards airplanes is you're going to be positioned long-term with the lowest carbon intensity fuel that could be pointed towards anything. So I think if you're a farmer, if, if, if you're involved in ethanol, that it's critically important to, to have that optionality in the long-term to be able to make that fuel that could position yourselves for um, any type of market going forward. Yeah, you know, really, really interesting. And I, I think it's just important to note quick, right? You mentioned 15 million tons per year into the pipeline. You said this isn't going away. The tax credit is 12 years, 15 million tons. And speaking with you actually before the show, drop in the bucket for what the well is able to hold. And so uh, and this is certainly going to have staying power. And I think it's really beneficial to have you on today and let everybody see that the pipeline guys aren't the big bad guys, right? But there's actually a lot of opportunity here for producers to find an economic means to achieve stated gold, right? So we've heard a lot of talk and this is maybe a pathway forward to be in the green uh, and, and to be in the black, obviously. Um, and, and also, if you're looking to, to secure some supply, hearing 
it said that, you know, we're not going to just sequester, but we're going to figure out how to ensure that we are supply and demands in the market as they take up with, uh, you know, the, the SAF and everything taking place that's going to need CO2. So really educational today, Jim. Absolutely. Seriously, this was fantastic. I think everybody is going to find a lot of value in what you had to say. Um, and we appreciate your time. Yeah, we'll put your contact information in the uh, in the uh, show notes. But, uh, you know, if I'm a big producer of CO2, I want to get onto your pipeline. How do I get in touch with you? Uh, our, our, our website, navigatorco2.com, um, more than happy to work with, with, with anyone, whether you have the need for CO2, if you want to sequester CO2, if you have sustainability goals to meet and have a ton of questions, uh, more than happy to talk there. If you have ideas with the types of trucks that could be bringing CO2 to our pipeline, you name it. We, we want to be a part of this clean energy economy. Um, we've got a great asset that, that is going to solve uh help solve what is a very big problem uh and please reach out yeah you just signed up for no sleep because that inbox is about to blow up so hey have a great week have a great thanksgiving uh yeah you too guys yeah thanks jim appreciate it appreciate it thank you yeah 